Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Baseline Banter. Pleasure to have you back for another week of talking IU baseball. My name is Stefan Kreisnik, one of the IU baseball beat reporters, and I'm joined by my fellow beat reporter, Jared Rigdon. What's up, Jared? I'm doing great. Just ready to talk some baseball. Well, let's get to it then. IU baseball sits now at 2-4 and four on the season after getting swept by Tennessee this past weekend. Certainly not the weekend the team was looking for, to say the least. It felt like nothing could go IU's way against the Volunteers. So, Jared, what do you think this team's main issue was this weekend? Well, put it plain and simple, they just didn't hit the ball. I mean, four runs in uh, three games. They got shut out on Saturday, 11 to nothing. Only had one run on Friday night. Uh, they had a lot of slow starts to the weekend. It's not, a, not something you can do, especially when you're a team that doesn't hit the ball very well and strikes out a lot. Uh, so they dug themselves in some deep holes that they just couldn't get out of. Yeah, and this weekend, I think one thing that really uh, that you hinted on there is the slow starts the team had. Uh, in the first two games, Tennessee scored in that first game. Tennessee scored three runs in the first inning, and in the second game, they scored two runs in the second inning. So, I mean, what do you think? Obviously, that has a lot to do with pitching, as well as uh, in some of these games we saw IU's defense struggle a little bit. But in terms of starting pitching, uh, some struggles that we don't usually see from Pauly Milto and the struggles uh, from Tanner Gordon, his second start with the Hoosiers. What did you see from them this weekend that you think might be a little bit concerning? Obviously, don't want to get ahead of ourselves and say, you know, one bad weekend this early in the season is damaging for the team and ruin all hopes. But what did you see this weekend that you think could be a little bit discouraging? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Pauly Milto, he had a, he had a pretty good start. After that first inning, he settled down through five more innings, didn't allow a run. There was a throwing error in the first inning that allowed a run uh, to get into scoring position and then was brought in by um, Tennessee's solid first baseman. Uh, but, yeah, like there's just the slow starts uh, are something that they can't have, especially Tanner, Tanner Gordon is still getting adjusted to pitching Division One baseball. It's obviously a lot different than Juco ball. Uh, and Paulie Milto kind of got hurt by some mistakes by other players on his team. But there's nothing really I see much concern with with the pitching staff. Uh, Gordon's been relatively solid early on in the season, and Milto's been, outside of one inning, pretty impeccable so far. So I think the pitching will continue to be great. It's just the hitting that's going to need to start get going. Yeah, and I think one thing that also we need to take into account, and you mentioned this last week on the podcast, is the strength of SEC teams. I mean, Tennessee to finish towards the bottom of the SEC last year, but that's Without mentioning that, the SEC is one of the stronger baseball conferences. It's not the strongest, it's the strongest yeah. baseball conference in college baseball. And Tennessee now is a 7-0 team that the I believe it was the, their opening weekend they didn't give up a single yeah, run. The, the IU's game on Friday night was the first run they'd given up, in, in this that being their fifth game of the year, and they only give up one run. So they've only given up four runs in seven games this season. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty impeccable depend, and it's no matter who you're playing. And so this is obviously an improved Tennessee ball club. Yeah, and going off of that, I mean, I think one struggle that Gordon and and I mean, Gordon and the team as a whole on Saturday had was walks, eleven walks total on Saturday, four from Gordon. I think that's one thing that he kind of went away from uh, compared to his first start is control of the ball. I mean, in that first start, he was striking out people like it was nothing, very good control of his pitches. And the second start, he gives up four walks and three strikeouts against Tennessee and four in the third inning. So. Do you think that's just the main thing for him right now is getting back control and, and being able to strike batters out again? It definitely does seem like uh, I mean I, he's he's got the ability to control the run uh, to control the uh, control the ball game control the runners on the bases. It seems like he gets flustered at times and starts to to get in his own head at times, especially when you get runners on base. And then he starts to put pitches right in the middle of the zone for them to hit. And Tennessee's going to make you pay for those mistakes. Uh, I mean, yeah, four walks, uh, four earned runs, and five hits in four and a third inning on Saturday. Uh, Definitely, IU getting behind early was not uh, a good thing for him. He, he definitely pitches better when he has the lead. 
but yeah, I think once he starts to get a little bit more comfortable on the mound, obviously this is high major Division One baseball, not John A. Logan College anymore. It's a bit of an adjustment period, but Jeff Mercer has all the confidence in the world in this kid, and he's definitely going to figure it out. Yeah, and I think another thing that could be, well, I guess I guess to transition a little bit, uh, in, in a weekend series like this, uh, this early in the season, obviously getting swept is, is not what you want. You don't want to get, you want to win games regardless of how early in the season it is. But do you think? a bad series like this could be beneficial for a team when you look at it in the long run? I think it definitely can be. I mean, this is a, it's an SEC ball club like we talk about. The, that's not going to hurt the RPI uh, at all. It's going to be one that you look back at uh, come May, come Big Ten tournament time, like, wow, we were once at that point, and now here we are. I think it's maybe a little bit of a wake-up call. I mean, obviously, everyone knew that Tennessee finished last in the, in the SEC last year. It wasn't initially thought to be a big threat, but it definitely – opens up your eyes to the weaknesses of this ball club, which is uh, striking out way too much. I mean, they were fanned 13 times just by the starter on Saturday, Zach Lingenfelter. Went six innings and had 13 strikeouts. Uh, so it definitely, It's a decent start. Uh, it's, not too, it's not too shabby. It definitely <laughs> opens up the eyes to Jeff Mercer and to the rest of this ball club. Like, okay, uh, maybe we have some more things to work on than we really originally thought we needed to. Yeah, and I think one thing you can also take away from a bad weekend and maybe even especially when you have a blowout game like the one they had Saturday where it was 11 to nothing, mm-hmm. is you're getting guys out on the mound and into the field that you probably don't usually see playing time, which will be beneficial down the road. I mean, looking at this, this weekend, Grant Sloan, Gabe Bierman, uh, let's see here, Braden Scott, Matt Ludwicki. Uh, these are all young pitchers that got some got some experience, got some time on the mound, and whether those appearances were great or not, I mean that's still still beneficial for them in the long run. I mentioned a region that in there, Matt Ludwicki, Lake Central graduate who oh, got some, who got some time on the mound. Excellent shout out. Um, and another guy that we saw, I think, in my opinion, that was impressive again was Connor Manis. In that mm-hmm. last game, he came in, pitched three innings, did give up a run, had a walk. But in his outings, and we've seen him go two or three innings in most of his outings out of the bullpen, he's kind of established himself as a guy that last year we saw as a midweek starter that could potentially be a midweek starter this week. So do you do you see him going forward as a midweek starter? I definitely think he'll have the opportunity. Uh, it seems like Jeff Mercer, at least so far, likes him out of that long reliever type role. Uh, he's got a, he's a sophomore, got a little bit more experience now. Uh, but he can be one of those guys that fills a midweek role when you really need to win. Vidal can also come in into a Big Ten series and give you three or four innings if a guy like Summer or Tanner Gordon can't go six, seven innings like Milto's going to give you each night. Mm-hmm. So I think Connor Manis plays a valuable role in that he can do both the long relief type action but also give you a start when you need it. Yeah, and I think that hinting on that success that Milto's had, uh, I think that just shows how important Milto is that Friday he didn't have his best outing. He still gave you six innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Milto's going to go out there and not necessarily pitch great but pitch – you know, durable innings for you, pitch pitch six or seven innings for you, not only does that help you out in that game, assuming he pitches well, but you're saving saving arms for those Saturday and Sunday games that if Gordon or Summer struggle as well, you have arms out of the bullpen. So I think that, first of all, shows the importance of Milto, and then second of all, shows that when you give Manis and, and other pitchers rest, that they can be beneficial for you and potentially come up big in, in the midweek games. But let's transition a little bit to a uh, to new segment, a first first installment of a segment we call Rigdon's Relay. Jared is going to give us a rundown of his three main takeaways from this weekend. So, Jared, Mike is yours. First of all, I want to start uh, start out by talking about Tommy Summer. Uh, takes the mound on Sunday, uh, a really solid effort from Tommy uh, in his second start this season. Uh, he goes four and a third, and he was really rolling along through four innings until the uh, that. Um, 
third inning, or that fifth inning there kind of stumped him. He gives up uh, three earned runs, four runs uh, in total. Uh, but he's going to be turn- he's Tommy's shown us that so far he can be a solid Sunday starter. There was a little bit of uh, concern coming into the year who's going to be that third guy in the rotation, but I think Tommy's kind of secured that spot. I uh, gave him an excellent start in the first game against Memphis of the year, uh, and this has been a uh, a solid uh, surprise, I think, for Mercer, a guy that they didn't know if they were going to be able to rely on, but he's definitely turned himself into a reliable starter. Uh, second thing, uh, Matt Gorski did not play at all this weekend. Uh, when media talked to Jeff Mercer uh, last week, he said it was nothing, that he said he'd be available, ready to go, that he's practicing. Turns out that wasn't exactly true. Uh, Gorski doesn't play this weekend. IU struggles, goes well, only has four runs in three games. He can show us how much Matt Gorski means to this ball club. He's a, he's a trendsetter at the top of that lineup. He's going to get on base. He's going to steal bases. He's also going to drive people in. He's one guy they definitely missed this week, and he wasn't the only reason their offense went dormant, but he plays a big role in how this offense gets going. Uh, and the third thing is, uh, this was a series they didn't want to lose. We kind of talked about that, but Tennessee is vastly improved. I mean, seven games, they've only given up four runs. I mean, you can only keep an SEC baseball team down for so long. They've made strides. Uh, it's kind of a, a new era of Tennessee baseball. I mean, they got that new turf field. Uh, they're under a new regime recently, and they've got a lot of young, talented players, and their pitching is, was outstanding this weekend. So this is a Tennessee ball club that we could potentially see make a lot of noise later in the season, and will continue to make that uh, look better of a, of a matchup for uh, IU. And there you go. You have it, your first installment of Rickton's Relay. Certainly a great job, Jared. I think people will really love that. But going back on one of those points you had made in there was uh, was about Matt Gorski not playing uh, it didn't seem like in in the media heading into the Tennessee series that Gorski would be out, certainly yeah. not out all three games. But that's what played out. We saw uh, his importance to this team. So going back on that point a little bit, just how important do you think Gorski is to, to this lineup? I mean, there's no doubt that he is their go-to player. I mean, that first game they had to readjust their lineup completely. We saw a bunch of guys scattered throughout the lineup that weren't even there in the Memphis weekend, and they were in different roles and spots in the lineup than they were against Memphis. So taking Gorski out of the lineup takes your trendsetter out of the lineup, takes your top uh, RBI, top average hitter, and best base stealer out of the lineup. So, I mean, he really takes your overall best player out of the lineup, and it's something that kind of threw IU off, I think. They didn't expect... I don't think they expected to be without Gorski the entire weekend. And obviously Tennessee took that to their advantage and started pitching around guys and going right at guys that um, that haven't have had a lot of experience on the bay, uh, in the batter's box this year so far. Yeah, and I think you know, what we saw this weekend was with Gorski out of that leadoff spot, uh, Coach Mercer went with Drew Ashley all three games. And not to pick on Drew Ashley, uh, obviously a great freshman last year that's going to bring a lot of things to the team this year. But five strikeouts in three games is not what you want from your leadoff guy. And it makes you question at least a little bit whether Mercer should have made a change either in that second or third game with trying someone else in that leadoff role. Last year we saw Kalitha dominate that leadoff role and was one of the most productive hitters in the lineup. He's moved down to the three spot mostly for the team. So do you do you think, assuming moving forward, that let's say Gorski is out for a few more games, which he might not be, but let's say if, if Gorski is out of the lineup, who is someone that you think aside from Drew Ashley, could pick up that leadoff role? i say you got to go to Jeremy Houston. I mean, this is a guy that Jeff Mercer talked about a lot about being an extremely improved hitter, and we saw that in the first weekend. He was setting setting Gorski up for success out of the nine hole, and with Gorski out of the lineup, it kind of takes the effectiveness away from putting Houston in that nine hole because now Houston's setting the plate for 
Drew Ashley to come up, but then Drew Ashley's not converting on what he's given. Mm-hmm. So I think putting Jeremy Houston in that leadoff role, getting him on base, getting him on the base paths where he's the strongest, is probably the route you want to try and take because then that sets up Justin Walker and Cade Bennell and Logan Kalitha and Matt Lloyd and all those guys. A runner on base, he almost plays the Gorski role in that essence. He doesn't have the same effectiveness in the nine hole as he does when Gorski is in there. Yeah, I think certainly you know don't want to pick on the leadoff guys. It's, no. it's hard. It's hard for a leadoff guy to be able to you know to say that he's not playing well when even the guys behind him are struggling. I mean, Saturday had an 0 for four day for Matt Lloyd with four strikeouts. I mean, at a certain point, it didn't seem like this weekend if Drew Ashley could have gone four for four each night, it seemed like I would still struggle to bring him in, right? Yeah, I mean, like the entire weekend. All four runs came from solo home runs, yeah. so there, there's nothing, nothing going anywhere. No matter if you had people on the bases or not, uh, this was just a just a bad all around offensive weekend. I mean, they had five hits on Friday, three on Saturday, and they had five on Sunday. So they had 13 hits in total the entire weekend, and they had 13 strikeouts against Tennessee starter on Saturday alone. So. I mean, I don't know what the answer is to this right now. Obviously, it's going to take him a couple of games to figure it out. And I think Mercer is going to eventually just need to set a lineup because as much as you want to get people uh, rolling into different roles, I think you need to set a lineup and set specific roles so that people can get adjusted into playing a role they need to be playing. Yeah, the strikeout numbers for a team this weekend, I mean, Friday you had the team strike out 10 times as a whole, 21 times on Saturday, and 15 times on Sunday. So, I mean, with... With those numbers, when you look at that and combine it with the fact that all their runs are coming off solo home runs, I mean, it makes you think of some teams that we've seen. I mean, in the major league, let's say a team like the Yankees, that it seems like they're yeah. striking out all the time, but they're hitting a ton of home runs. I just don't think this IU team has the power, especially they're not, they're not built to play like that. Yeah, especially being you know, losing guys like Luke Miller and Logan Sowers from last year, you're not built as a power team. Mm-hmm. And I think that you mentioned on on the podcast last week, cold weather certainly plays a factor into mm-hmm. that. Um, but, I mean, this team kind of, you hate to say, needs to just get back to the basics, but that's almost what it is. I mean, you just need to slow down what you're doing. You get start getting some base hits, start getting some doubles. Just get some momentum rolling. I mean, hitting is contagious. Get mm-hmm. that rolling through the lineup. And then after that, you know, you can take those big hacks. But when you're not producing anything, you need to slow down those swings a little bit and get, get back to the yeah, basics. Just try and put some contact. But if you put the ball in play, something good is bound to happen. But if you don't put the ball in play, well, nothing's going to happen. So I think... Like you said, they just kind of need to settle down a little bit and get your get your focus back, get your momentum back, and start putting the ball in play a little bit. I think one thing that IU could certainly take away from all this is when you got guys like Lloyd struggling, like Drew Ashley struggling. I mean, those are guys that you know are going to be good. Oh, yeah. And I mean, baseball baseball is baseball. Teams get into slumps on a regular basis. So when you have guys like that that are struggling, you know, even Ryan Feynman had a home run this weekend, but hasn't been the best this year. I mean. Yeah. You're not really that worried at this point, are you? No, I mean, Especially, I'm, I'm in, in reference yeah. to those big name players. On yeah, the team. I mean, Matt Lloyd is batting 158 right now. He's not going to bat 158 <laughs> the whole year. Ryan Feynman 150. That's not. That's going to change. I mean, some as as soon as these veteran guys start to get a little bit more comfortable, uh, they're starting to get readjusted back into playing. I mean, let's be honest, they've been off since June. They haven't played actual real baseball games since June, and now. They're coming in and they got to go play an SEC team the second weekend of the year. I mean, that's that's a tough task to ask. It's a tough non-conference schedule, but these older guys are going to start to figure it out, and once they do, the younger guys are going to see that and they're going to start hitting the ball as well. Yeah, and you're also being forced to kind of learn a new role. And I'm sure for when you look at players like Feynman and Lloyd, I mean, these guys aren't necessarily guys that are aggressive on the base pass. And when you got a coach that's bringing in a system like that where you need to be really aggressive and fast on the bases, I mean, that could be. 
not necessarily taking away their attention or distracting them, but it's something new that they have to learn, a new system you got to get involved in, which could take you away from the basics a little bit. And it's just a matter of getting used to all that. So I think we'll both be on the same page here and saying that it's not – or it's too early to start panicking because yeah, I, of this I weekend. I wouldn't go uh, just calling off IU as a tournament <laughs> team yet. I mean, two and four, but yes, they're still figuring some stuff out. This is uh, – a team that's adjusting to a new uh, hitting, a new hitting um, philosophy, a new base running philosophy, they're going to start to figure stuff out. It's just the nature of baseball. It's how baseball treats you. One week you could have a terrible weekend, the next week and you get to score nine runs each game. It's just how it works. So I think we'll have to see. Maybe these midweek games here against uh, Butler and Cincinnati will kind of spark a little bit of a fire before they head to South Carolina, and I think maybe that's what they need. Yeah, and before we start talking about those midweek games, uh, one thing that we've seen around the college baseball world uh, is the idea of bringing in a third uh, paid assistant coach for the teams. Uh, right now, I mean, when you compare baseball uh, in terms of ratio between coaches and players, yeah. uh, in terms of college sports, baseball is very much at the bottom in terms of having a lot more players than they have coaches. Uh, so let's take a listen as to what Mercer said last week during media on his thoughts on this situation. As a, as a, from my personal beliefs on the situation, I think it's an opportunity for us to to really invest into our student athletes. Where oftentimes that fourth coach is doing multiple jobs, he's, he's working he's working nights, he's he's working weekends or whatnot, and he's not totally focused on the team. Now we're very fortunate to have Casey Dykes, who is an absolute superstar, but to allow him to have their main focus be with the team, with the boys, helping to to, to grow them both as people and as players is a huge benefit, um, and more so than that, it's time. You look at, there's 35 players on the team, um, you look at your player to, 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 to coach ratio, and I do understand that, that those coaches are already on staff, but oftentimes their focus is just trying to make a living to, to, to survive. I did it for a long, long time, and um, I think it's beyond time for college baseball to, 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 to step forward and say, we're gonna, we're gonna really invest into the, the well-being of all of our coaches, but just as importantly, our student athletes, which is always of utmost importance. All right, and there you have it. You see uh, Mercer's view on that. Uh, Reagan, so going off of that, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I feel like it'd be hard to argue, but it seems pretty obvious that adding a third paid assistant coach would be beneficial to every team. Yeah, I mean, college baseball is is growing significantly throughout the country, especially it's always been big in the South and out West, but you can tell it's starting to grow uh, significantly, especially in the Midwest and the Northeast. And, I mean, Jeff Mercer was Jeff Mercer was pretty adamant about how he thinks that it's only fair to the players to have a third guy that they can focus on that they can that can focus on the players. Right now they kind of have volunteers, but you need a guy that can focus on the development of your players. You want your players to get better, and the only way they can do that is with coaches that are there to guide them, to teach them, and to make sure that they always have an eye on them, like that can help them improve and get better. And I think this this is where this is where you can catch me going on a rant sometimes. I'll just I'll just try steering away from that. But it's just I feel like it's another example of the NCAA. It's a pretty obvious move. If your if your goal is to develop great athletes, and obviously you don't want them to be great students and stuff like that. But if you want to develop great athletes that are going to go into the major leagues and be great players in the major leagues, getting a third paid assistant coach, especially in a sport where it's pretty obvious that the ratio is bad and they need another assistant coach mm-hmm. would be nothing but beneficial. I mean, I just really don't see any negatives to that. Baseball is such a meticulous sport 
and where it's a very individualized sport. Obviously, it's a team sport, and, and especially Mercer system, if you're going to have people running the bases aggressively, you're going to have double steals, you're going to have stuff like that. It's a very much a team effort in certain situations. But at the same time, there's only one guy in that batter's box facing that pitcher, mm-hmm. and there's only one guy throwing the pitches. There's only one guy feeling that ground ball if it's coming to him. So in that situation, having assist, another assistant coach to have more individualized time with the players can only be beneficial. I mean, when you look at baseball, how many little details there are. I mean, you have – Going through this high lineup, you have probably some guys that are struggling to hit the ball the opposite way. You have some guys that are struggling to hit the ball for power. Some guys that need to work on bunting. I mean, there's little things like that that if you get more individualized, it's going to help them develop develop those games, develop those little details to make them better major league players down the road. So I really don't know what the NCAA's problem is this right now. The only thing I could think of is money, which yeah. starts a whole other issue with the NCAA. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've seen IU struggle with, like, a couple little things. Fielding has been a sore spot so far early in the season and obviously making contact with the ball. If you got a third guy that can go out there and practice and let Jeff Mercer run the regular practice and let this guy take people aside and work on the little things like fielding ground balls and turning double plays, that can make the difference between a win and a loss mm-hmm. in May. If you're playing the Big Ten tournament and you got extra work back in February working on double play balls and you go to make one in at, in Omaha, that can make the difference between you making the tournament and you sitting at home comes the summer. So I think it's good for college baseball. It's good for the development of players, and it makes players – Look, when they're deciding between, am I going to go to the draft or am I going to play college baseball? If you have that extra assistant and they can see the development and growth of players, that makes college ba- uh, baseball even more um, of something that players want to go play. Yeah, and I think that's Mercer and IU are a perfect example of that. I mean, we talk so much about this new system that Mercer wants to implement. I mean, Mercer's got a big picture thing that he has to work on right now. He mm-hmm. does. He might not necessarily have as much time as he wants to work on those little details about hitting an off-speed pitch or hitting it into opposite field. So I think a third assistant coach could, could only be beneficial. NCAA, if for some reason you're listening to this podcast, go for it. I, I'm not. I, I just don't know. It's good know. for the game. <laughs> it's good for the game. Yeah, it'll be it'll be better for college baseball to have guys playing college baseball rather than skipping out and going straight to MLB from high school. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just our take on that. Uh, glad to see Mercer agrees with us. Um, but transitioning back into what's going on right now with IU in terms of games. Uh, we have some games starting up at Bart Kaufman Field. Uh, I'm not sure oh when. Yeah. Who thought it would be a great idea to play February baseball at Bart Kaufman back Field? Back-to-back February games. But, <laughs> but we're going to do it Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Cincinnati comes to town on Tuesday to face the Hoosiers, and then Butler with an in-state rivalry game on Wednesday. Um, one thing we talk about bef- have talked about before is IU struggle with striking out, especially in cold weather. Um, February games in Bloomington are not going to offer warm weather, no matter how how much climate change or anything is going on. How it's much gonna, you pray to Mother it's gonna be It's going to be cold this week. So um, not conference games, uh, not the highest RPI games, but still two games that IU probably wants to win. So going off of that, what are some things you're going to look for this uh, this midweek? Well, a, I'm going to see what kind of lineup that Mercer throws out. This is two chances for some other guys to get some action. You're going to see two starters that aren't going to be your normal weekend starters. So a potential chance for an Andrew Salfrank to uh, redeem himself from the shaky first outing he had and show his form that he had back in the regional last year. Uh, it's going to be a chance for uh, some guys to to get some plate appearances and get some reps out in the field. And it's a chance for them to kind of turn the tide. Right now they're kind of just going towards a, a season that's going to be marked by strikeouts. But if they can 
if they can show that this is a solid ball club this weekend, uh, this week, and uh, just take care of business against Cincinnati and Butler, it builds loads of momentum going to South Carolina to face a really good um, field of teams that they're going to play down there. Yeah, and then last year IU went twenty-one and five at home, um, but their first home game was a loss, uh, eight to three to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So I think you know it's not too recent that these you know smaller teams have shown an ability to compete with some of the Big Ten teams. So, I mean, if you're IU, don't let Cincinnati sneak up on you again, and certainly don't let Butler sneak up on you. I mean, these are these are two teams that IU should have enough scouting report on. I mean, they're not facing some small, small schools. They're facing no. schools that aren't necessarily known for baseball, but you should be able to get enough scouting on Cincinnati, on Butler, to be able to compete this midweek. And I mean, would you say picking up two wins yeah, I mean, is very is a, much a, a one reasonable fi- goal? Uh, a one-in-five Cincinnati team that, only picked up their one win in the season in 12 innings over Houston Baptist, and their last they've lost their first five games of the year. And Butler's two and three on the season with a loss to Rutgers and a loss to New Orleans, and they only took two or three from Ryder. So these are two subpar big time schools that should provide IU a chance to get some guys some reps while also getting some easy victories if everything goes according to their plan. Yeah, and IU Athletics certainly trying to give. Uh some home field advantage, uh, free tickets, free tickets to both those games. Uh, to anyone that wants to sit at Bark Offen Field in the cold on three o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday <laughs> afternoon, a busy Tuesday afternoon in terms of sports for IU athletics. I mean, you got the baseball game, women's basketball at Northwestern at eight, and then nine o'clock you have the men's basketball team playing against Wisconsin. So I guess it it, it should be a decent. I mean, come out to the baseball game, go over to the basketball game if you got tickets. I guess again, yeah, it's free for baseball. So if you see a basketball ticket, you get into baseball technically. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, going off that, so you got those two midweek games, like we mentioned, Tuesday at home against Cincinnati, uh, Wednesday at home against Butler. And then IU hits the road again uh, this weekend for the Coastal Carolina Tournament. Uh, The team will face Northeastern University, a sneaky good Connecticut team, and the 2016 national champion, Coastal Carolina. What are your thoughts on this upcoming weekend, Jared? Uh, This is a very loaded tournament that people are kind of probably – don't realize is as good as it is. I mean, Northeastern is a solid ball club that's made the tournament uh, at quite a few times in the past five to ten years. Connecticut took two or three from Louisville to open the season. Louisville's a top ten team, and Coastal Carolina is a consistent top twenty five team that's been getting a lot of recognition earlier in the season. Uh, so this is a this is a really tricky weekend for IU. This is the first time they're playing in a a tournament type field this year. They've played two three game series against the same squad which is a little bit different, but at the same time, um, you get a little bit more comfortable playing the same team two or three times. Now they're going to go play a Coastal Carolina team that's 7-1 and one on the season, uh, just swept, uh, just took two games from Michigan State, uh, and their only loss of the season is to number one, number 21 NC State in 11 innings. So it's a solid, solid Coastal Carolina uh, ball club. And like I said, UConn took two or three from Louisville to open the season. Uh, I mean, UConn's three and three this year. A tough weekend against College of Charleston, but that's also a solid ball club. Yeah. So, uh, this is a weekend that could be tricky for IU, but um, it should be one that could provide some really nice victories if they can um, pull pull some out, uh, out of the hat there. Yeah, last year IU had faced Coastal Carolina um, in South Carolina and won six to five. Didn't yeah. face UConn and hasn't faced Northeastern, but. I mean, those are three games that are certainly would be big pickups, and it's kind of like what we mentioned with the Tennessee series. I mean, these are games that are going to be helpful down the road uh, in terms of RPI. Picking up a win, no matter how 
ugly of a win it could be, yeah. it's going to be beneficial down the road. I mean, that game last year against Coastal Carolina was not the prettiest of wins, but it's a win that definitely helped them down the road in terms of RPI. And, I mean, that's the 2016 national champion right there. So wins like that could go a long way. Um, certainly like to see IU turn things around uh, in, in terms of being able to get wins. And I think a lot of that starts with these midweek games. And, and another way to mention is, like we had said, Cincinnati and Butler aren't the best teams, but it's a good way to kind of yeah. get get things rolling in the right direction, work on those strikeouts, uh, get some of those midweek guys out there. You're gonna, uh, this is gonna be five games this week yeah, for IU, I mean, so we're gonna see how deep this this pitching staff really is. It gets that winning feeling back within your ball club. I mean, I don't think the morale's at the highest after a three game just shellacking at the hands <laughs> of Tennessee, to put it lightly. Great word. Uh, but. I'm really interested this weekend to see how Mercer handles his pitching staff because the way that the games are lined up, you get Northeastern Friday, which is where Milto would technically slot in, but at the same time, Northeastern is the weakest of the three teams you're going to face. So I'm intrigued to see maybe does Milto hold, or does Mercer hold Milto for Saturday morning, which is a 10.30 a.m. first pitch against UConn, which is a much stronger team than Northeastern, or does he just keep it the same and have Tanner Gordon go Saturday and Tommy Summer go Sunday? In which case, Tommy Summer, welcome to Division One. You're facing Coastal Carolina <laughs> in your third start of this season. I'm really intrigued to see how he handles that. That's why he gets paid the big bucks to make those decisions um, because it's the way it's lined up. is It goes from uh, weakest to strongest this weekend instead of strongest to weakest. Yes, certainly an interesting weekend. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how this whole week progresses. I guess to see how Mercer handles that pitching staff, and that's a good point you make. I feel like at this point of the season, while obviously well, as my mic falls apart here, <laughs> while you're obviously trying to win games, uh, you're gonna go you're gonna go with I, I would say I think he's gonna go with Milto on Friday. I think he's gonna keep it the same because you don't want this early in the season. To make Tanner Gordon to to make Gordon think that you're not confident in him going up against a big team because the fact of the matter is when you face a team like Minnesota in Big Ten play, Gordon's going to have to face them. So you yeah. might want to show him that you still have confidence in him, even coming off a difficult start. But I, I mean, it's a fair point. And if this was a Texas regional or something like that, and you're you looking at it, change it you could definitely see things change up. But this early in the season, I'd be very surprised if he changed it up. But it's it's going to be a real test for Mercer this week. So. Let's look at it. So five games this week for IU. Let's get a prediction going. How many do you think they win? I say they take three. Um, I agree. And I don't. I don't. I think they, they're going to take the first two. I, I think they should take them handily. But the South, the, the Coastal Carolina tournament gets intriguing. I could see them taking one of any of those three. I don't think I have a specific one in mind that they could take because yeah, all three tough teams. It depends because. At the same time, like UConn's gonna have to face the same teams. They're gonna have to yeah. stay at the same decision about who, how they're gonna handle their pitching, and they struggled last weekend. Coastal Carolina's coming off a loss. It's gonna be intriguing. I think that they take the one against Northeastern, especially if Milto pitches, and I think they have a shot on Sunday. Uh, UConn's gonna be very tough. Tanner Gordon obviously is toughest test uh, in an season. IU yeah. uniform yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. And they're all really early first pitches. I mean, 2 p.m. Friday. 10:30 a.m. on Saturday, and then a noon one to kick it off on Sunday. I mean, that's a lot of early, early rises, and <laughs> I mean, you got to travel to South Carolina. I mean, that's I guess they're not complaining about that aspect, but <laughs> the fact that they got a, uh, a lot of early, early calls to the ballpark that, this weekend. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I'll say they'll win at least three, and then I could see them winning four. But that Coastal Carolina game is going to be really tough, and that UConn game is going to be really tough. So 
if you're Paulie Milto going into that Friday start, there's not. I'm not saying there's pressure on Milto, but, but you got to set the tone. You, you got to set the tone. Got to show. Like, all right, guys, we're not gonna we're not gonna fold over like we did last week. And this we're this is what part of what makes Milto so effective in that Friday yeah. role. And what he talked about is what he likes about that Friday role is that he gets to set the tone. He controls how the weekend's gonna go. Uh, if he comes out and just dominates Northeastern like he probably should, uh, that's going to give Tanner Gordon and Tommy Sumner a little bit of an incentive to go out there and, and try and pitch as well as he did and maybe see if they can come away with a couple top-tier victories. Yeah, it should be interesting to see all that plays out. But uh, All right, well, Jared and I hope you enjoy discussing IU baseball uh, with us because we're just getting started and we're still early in the season. Uh, I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed our discussion today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we're always looking for input, so feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at S-K-R-A-J-I-S-N-I-K-3 and at Rigdon Jared. And let us know what's on your mind regarding IU baseball. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks again, and we look forward to being back next week.